Aren't you glad you obeyed the leading of the Spirit this morning, got out of bed and came to gather to worship? Amen. It is good to be together, to gather and to worship and praise the Lord. I just want to give a personal thank you to those over at 301. We uh, made it our goal that to create enough space so people can attend, that we would have 30 people at each service over there. And this morning, I think there was 82 people who gave up their preference of what building to be in to gather and worship across the road. And uh, we just thank God for the spirit of willingness that we all need to exhibit as uh, God continues to entrust people to us. But it has been so rich and so good to gather this morning and to worship our great God together. As we continue in our series, Out of the Wilderness and Into the Promises of God, we have seen over the last three weeks that time in the wilderness, although often lonely and quiet, can also be intense and exhausting. First, we looked at the experience of God's people in the wilderness, on their way to the promised land, and then last week we studied Christ's wilderness experience, where he was led by the Spirit and tempted by the devil. You probably have often heard people describe these seasons of life. Some of you this morning I know are going through it right now. Wilderness experiences. You'll hear people often describe as there was a very dark time in my life. Times where it is just so difficult to see the light through the fog. Times where the circumstances surrounding our different particular situations leave us often feeling discouraged, confused, and perhaps even hopeless. So what can we do? Is there anything that we can do to help us when we find ourselves in moments like this? Well, in Psalm 103, David gives us what I'm calling an essential discipleship practice. That if we engage ourselves and will prove helpful, it'll prove helpful to help us persevere in the wilderness, but then not only that, but to thrive on the other side. So if you have your Bible or your electronic device this morning, I'd ask you to turn with me to Psalm 103. I'm going to ask you if you would join me and stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven 
and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Amen? You may be seated. This psalm gives one of the most powerful descriptions of the character and nature of God throughout all Scripture. Although amongst biblical writers there is no clear consensus under what circumstances David wrote the psalm of praise highlighting the Lord's goodness and his mercies, reading it at face value as we just did, it would appear that David doesn't seem to be in the midst of a wilderness experience. However, we know from studying his life that he definitely had his fair share of wilderness experiences, didn't he? And could the Spirit have inspired him to write this psalm during one of those moments to restore hope in his soul? We just can't say for certain. But what we do know, as one author correctly put it, is this. Psalm 103 is an exquisite song of thanksgiving. It is the outpouring of a heaven-bought gratitude. It is a spiritual hymn of a redeemed sinner singing and making melody in his heart to the Lord. That is why it is suited for all ages, appropriate to all persons, and applicable to all conditions. So wherever you find yourself this morning, perhaps in the wilderness, perhaps you're being led out of the wilderness, or you're thriving and living in the promises of God, unpacking this essential, essential discipleship practice, I believe, will prove helpful no matter where you find yourself this morning. And we discover this essential discipleship practice right at the start of David's psalm in verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. That's the essential discipleship practice that we need to regularly engage ourselves in. Praising the Lord and forgetting not all his benefits. There are two parts to this discipleship practice. The first part deals with how to praise the Lord. First, we learn from David that we are to praise the Lord, in verse 1, personally. Personally, we are to praise the Lord, he says, my soul. Another familiar translation to a lot of us of David's words is penned this way. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Then again, at the start of verse 2, David exhorts himself for a second time. Praise the Lord, my soul. And then finally, at the end, in verse 22, we see him for the third time. He ends his psalm with the same personal challenge to himself. Praise the Lord, my soul. David starts and ends his psalm calling on his soul, his immortal nature, to praise the Lord, to bless God as an act of adoration. Now, I know from experience, as you do as well, that in the midst of wilderness experience, praising the Lord is often hard to do, isn't it? But you know what I've also learned at the same time from experience? That praising the Lord on the other side of the wilderness is also really easy to forget to do. It's difficult to do in the midst of the wilderness experience, but it's sure easy to forget to do on the other side. That is why it is essential, like David, that all of us learn to regularly exhort, rally, call upon our souls to praise the Lord, even when things are going really well. 
The second thing we learn about how to praise that we learn from David, it's not only supposed to be personal, but he also says it needs to be done wholeheartedly. He says in verse 1, Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, with all that is within me. There's no half-heartedness there. Our praise has to come from the very core of our being and involve all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Why ought we to praise the Lord personally and wholeheartedly? Well, Davis tells us at the end of verse 1, we praise him first and foremost because God is holy. Because God is holy. Before he's ever done anything for us, he deserves our personal, wholehearted praise because he is holy. Because of his nature, which is holy, God is inherently worthy of our personal praise. And David's call to praise his holy name at the end of verse 1 emphasizes this point of why we are to praise the Lord. You'll remember in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2, Hannah in her prayer after dedicating Samuel to the service of the Lord affirms this truth when she prays. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And then if you go to the end of the book in Revelation 4, 8, when John was given a glimpse into heaven, what did he see? Do you remember? He saw living creatures before the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And listen to what it says. Day and night, they never stopped saying this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So even though it can be difficult, and even though it's easy for us to forget to do, whether we are in the wilderness or whether we are living in the promises of God, we always have a reason to praise the Lord. Simply because of who He is. He is holy. And we are to praise Him personally and wholeheartedly. But then at the end of verse 2, David highlights the second component of this essential discipleship practice. And he phrases it in the form of a personal challenge when he tells himself, and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord personally, wholeheartedly, because he is holy, and forget not all his benefits. The countless unmerited mercies that we have received from God. I love how Jeremiah describes these mercies in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Listen, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's good news, brothers and sisters. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Listen, his mercies never come to an end. They don't run out. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah's hope was strengthened with assurance as he remembered all of God's benefits to him in his darkest moments. And we will discover as we look through this psalm today how forgetting not all his benefits will have the same effect on David's soul. You see, although we regularly experience God's faithfulness, I've noticed in my life that as soon as he leads me out of the wilderness and into a season where things are going smooth again, how easy Calvin Caulfield forgets in his inner being to forget all the benefits and to get on with life as I was thinking about that this week, it reminded me of Christmas when, when our kids were a lot younger. 
Ever notice how quickly parents will put so much effort into getting them something so special, and the young kid opens it up, the wrapping's gone, and they just, wow, and they move on. What's next? I think sometimes we treat the benefits of God in the same way. Wow, thank you. What's next? And you know, as parents, you train your kids so don't offend the aunts and uncles. You do that locker room talk before you go to the family gathering. Now listen, you may get some things you really don't want, but just act like you appreciate them. And I remember one Christmas, for some reason, my siblings thought that one of my children needs a lot of books this Christmas. So they graciously, I won't even mention the gender of my child, so none of you won't know who it is. They graciously opened the first gift, opened the second gift, but when they got the third gift and it was more books, that was it. And the child in front of the whole family says, books are my nemesis. (sighs) But sometimes, you know what, we laugh. Perhaps our response to God for all his benefits is the same. We just get on with life. What's next? That is why the Lord, knowing our nature, told Joshua in Joshua chapter 4, after the whole nation had crossed the Jordan on dry ground to get 12 men, one from each tribe, to pick up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and carry them on their shoulders to the other side so that in the future, when the next generation asks them, what is this about? Those stones would serve as a reminder so that the people of Israel would not forget all his benefits. Praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Because when we do that, secondly, recalling the promises of God helps to fuel that personal, wholehearted praise. In verses three to five, we see five promises of God that David chooses not to forget as he exhorts his soul to praise the Lord. Follow along with me. Starting in verse three, he reminds himself that God forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He starts with the most important promise because there is no greater benefit that anyone can receive than forgiveness of your sins. Without that promise, we cannot enjoy a relationship with God. Paul writes in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. But then in Ephesians 2, 3, he reminds the believers again that by our nature, we are objects of God's wrath. And yet, in spite of who we are, David reminds himself and his hearers of this fundamental aspect of God's character that we must not forget that our God is a forgiving God. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? 1 John 1, 9 affirms this truth about God, where we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for his comprehensive forgiveness, past, present, and future. David starts with this amazing promise because all other benefits are dependent on this initial act of Love from God, the forgiveness of our sins. In fact, yesterday, the guest speaker at the conference that we hosted here said this, peace with God is the fountain from which all other mercies flow. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired David to start with forgiveness. And so he continues in the second part of verse three. Not only does he forgive all your sins, he heals all your diseases. 
Now, whenever we hear healing mentioned, our natural tendency is to associate it with the healing of our physical diseases, which David very well may have been giving testimony to God's ability to do so based on Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 39, where in the Song of Moses, God being compared to false gods is revealed as the only living God and is the only one who can protect Israel. He is the only one who has power of life and death with regard to Israel and the power, it says, to wound and heal them. So David could have been reflecting on that. But physical healing is not the only category of healing being referred to here. Here and elsewhere in Scripture, we know that healing is also associated with the spiritual sickness, the diseases of our souls, which are in need of healing through forgiveness, which is the first benefit David just recalled. You remember in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, the prophet Isaiah saying in reference to Christ, very familiar passage to us, he was pierced for our transgressions, sin. He was crushed for our iniquities, sin. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Healed from what? Our transgressions and our iniquities. The healing being spoken about here accomplished through Christ's death is ultimately the forgiveness of our sins. And Peter continues this theme of spiritual healing for our diseased souls in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Listen to what he writes. He himself, referring to Christ, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And then he quotes the prophet Isaiah. By his wounds you have been healed spiritually. So what about healing for our physical diseases? Can God heal those? Yes, of course he can heal those. We know that he can because he is all powerful. Does he promise to? Yes, in the end, absolutely. In the end, absolutely. Listen to the description of the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21.4. Listen closely. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So yes, in the future, in our eternal kingdom where we will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever, he promises we will be healed of all our physical diseases. But he has not promised to heal all of our physical diseases in this broken world. Can he? Yes, That's why we pray, but we have to understand he can, but is he willing to? Yet from time to time, we see him break through, and we hear testimonies, maybe within your own families, of someone who has been healed of their physical diseases, giving us a glimpse into the reality of the kingdom yet to come, when we will be eternally healed, both physically and spiritually. He will forgive you of all your sins, heal all your diseases. Then in verse four, David goes on to recall more promises of God. Amazing, he redeems your life from the pit. And what does he do? Crowns you with love and compassion. Literally, he redeems our lives from the grave, right from the very beginning. Genesis chapter three, verse 15, we see God's character, his nature is to make a way for us to be bought back. That's the idea behind redeem, to be bought back at a cost from the slave market of sin to rescue us from everlasting damnation. What amazing grace. 
rather than giving us what we deserve, death, what does he do? He crowns us with love and compassion. And the word David uses here in reference to God's love is the Hebrew word hased. It is one of the richest words in scripture to express God's steadfast, covenant, loyal love for his people. And you'll see David builds on this central theme of God's love and his compassion throughout the psalm because any relationship with God is absolutely dependent upon his love and his mercy. And then finally in verse five, David recalls, he satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Good things, good things that are in line with his will for your life. Things that he knows we require. This embraces all of his good provisions that he gives us on a daily basis. And why does he do this for us? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Referring to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 27 to 31. The promise here from God is of strength. Strength that goes beyond our own abilities. Strength that goes beyond our natural health. Strength that is sourced in God's love and compassion and his generous provision for us. What a start. And that's only the first five verses. What a start. Just think about this. We have been reminded in the last five minutes through the psalmist that God forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems redeems my life from the pit, crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like eagles. Brothers and sisters, that is some high-octane spiritual fuel that should ignite in us a desire to praise the Lord. Amen? Amen? Well, after intentionally recalling God's benefits for himself, in verses 3 to 5, David, in verses 6 to 19, broadens his scope of remembrance to include recalling God's benefits to all his people, not just himself. And as he broadens his scope of remembrance, you can almost feel the momentum to praise the Lord building in his soul as he reflects on the nature of God and how God relates to his people. I remember the first time Jen and I traveled across the country and went to, uh, down to the States and went to the Grand Canyon. And we finally pulled around the one corner and for the first time we caught our glimpse of the vastness and the grandeur of the Grand Canyon. It took us back. I think if I remember right, Jen, you were actually in tears at the majesty of God revealed through his creation. And then we drove around the next corner and it got bigger. And you go around the next corner and the vastness and the beauty and the grandeur of the Grand Canyon just kept getting bigger. This is exactly what is happening to David as he first of all focuses on praising the Lord with his own soul. And then as he recalls God's benefits to his people, his appreciation and his understanding of God's character and his nature and how he relates to his people just keeps growing. That's why thirdly, recalling the promises of God for his people deepens our appreciation and understanding of God's nature. That's why I love our Global Missions Conference. I think one of the big takeaways I took from this missions conference this year wasn't necessarily about each of the individual families that were here representing the regions they work, but it was about what God's grace and mercy and how he is delivering his promises around the globe whether in the Czech Republic, whether in different parts of the continent of Africa, whether at Pearson Airport, God, 
full of love and compassion and mercy, is fulfilling his promises to people all over the world. And sometimes we just get stuck in the small cocoon. And we need missions conferences to just expand our appreciation and understanding of God's character and nature for all people. And so in verse 6, we see David recalling And his shift changes from his personal life to all the saints. Look at what it says. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. This is such a great promise to hold on to. If you're feeling marginalized, and I know some of you are, if you're feeling oppressed or denied a fair voice, hold on to this promise. Be assured that out of his great love and his compassion and generosity to you, he works out what is right and just. For his people. Just as he did, David recalls in verse 7 for Moses and the people of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt. What does it say there? He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And just as God revealed himself to be gracious in Moses' day, David reminds himself and the people of his day, and we are reminded this morning through the word of God that because of his nature, whatever your situation is that you're facing right now, he will reveal himself to you in your situation as gracious. Gracious. And as David continues to recall, we can see in verse 8 his appreciation deepening and his understanding of God's nature growing. And there in verse 8, quoting the Lord himself, From his interaction with Moses on Mount Sinai, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, David writes this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. For you and for me, covenant love, loyalty. And because of who he is, and because of who he has revealed himself to be, he promises, he goes on in verses 9 and 10, to not do four things. Rejoice in these four things as we look at them. God promises to not do four things, and he lists them in verse 9 and 10. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Praise the Lord. Although accusation and anger are, of course, appropriate responses For an all-holy God towards the sins of his people, he promises to not always accuse or harbor his anger forever. Isn't that good news this morning? And equally because he is by nature gracious and merciful, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Oh, thank you, God. I know who the original Calvin Kaufman was. And I am so grateful that he has not treated me as my sins deserve or repaid me according to my iniquities. Hold on to those four things God promises not to do. Church family, how can hearing these four promises not begin to arouse an appreciation and broaden our understanding of the incredible nature of God? Praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. I don't care who the richest person in the world is. There is no organization on this earth that can offer such a complete benefits package than what God gives us in his promises. And so David, carried along by the Holy Spirit, 
after having his appreciation and his understanding of God's character and nature broadened. In verse 11, 12, and 13, he uses three powerful metaphors to illustrate the vastness of God's grace and love towards his people. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And yes, although the rationale for his all-encompassing love, forgiveness, and compassion towards us is because it is rooted in his nature, did you notice in verse 14, it is also rooted in his divine remembrance. Look what it says. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God remembers our finite nature. He understands the brevity of our lives. And therefore, he is all the more willing to extend grace to us. But, please, we must not miss what David points out in verses 11, 13, and 17. Did you catch it? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But from everlasting to after everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. He makes it very clear that a, the key to a right understanding of God's all-encompassing love is that those who have received it fear him. Fear him. The language used by David here does not imply be afraid of God or have to be a perfect, super spiritual individual. No, rather it refers to people who genuinely, through the power of the Holy Spirit, seek to live their lives for God in a holistic manner. It's the idea that Paul presented in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Those who fear the Lord are those who have decided to put God first in their lives. And as it says in verse 18, how do we do that? By keeping his covenant and remembering to obey his precepts. Don't just be rule keepers. I'm not talking about legalism here. Our guest speaker yesterday, again, I wrote this quote down. Obedience is grace in action. Not legalism. It's understanding who God is. It's understanding what he's done for us. It's understanding all these promises and go, of course I want to gather with the people of God to worship. Look at the grace that has been extended to me. I often tell my unbelieving friends, I'm not religious I've been saved and I love Jesus Christ and so I want to go and do these things. Yes, grace is unmerited, but it should always provoke a response in the recipient. And the final three verses, I love this, capture so well David's response as he intentionally engages himself in this practice of praising the Lord and forgetting not all his benefits. It is obvious his appreciation as we've read this and his understanding of God's nature and how he relates to his people definitely has deepened and it has fueled a response within David's soul to praise the Lord. Listen, that goes far beyond just exhorting himself to praise the Lord. Go with me to verse 20. Praise the Lord, you his angels. 
You mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts. You, his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. All creation and the heavenly hosts. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. In the beginning verses of his psalm, the initial note to self in verses 1 through 5, it has a personal, almost individualistic ring to it. But these final three verses and the final reminder to praise the Lord my soul that David expresses situates the psalmist's voice among the massed choirs of the created order. Cosmic praise. And so I'm going to invite our worship team as we close our service this morning to join with me. And I exhort all of us, those of us here at 300 gathered here, Those of you over at 301 gathered there. Brothers and sisters gathering in your homes. I exhort you. I rally. I call upon you. As we close this service this morning. To join and let's together engage personally, wholeheartedly in this essential discipleship practice. To praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. At the start of the sermon, this photo was uh, on the screen that will come up once the video is finished. It's a photo that I took while I was hunting a couple of weeks ago. And I thought the, as I looked at it this week, I thought that really does describe the feeling of wilderness. The fog, there's a little bit of blue at the top, but it's hard to see. Not much life going on there. It's pretty dead, quiet, and lonely. But then I took another photo as things progressed. And this is what happens, brothers and sisters, as we engage in this personal discipleship practice of praising the Lord and forgetting not all his benefits. The fog surrounding our situations begins to clear. And you see the light, capital L, Jesus Christ. Please, whether you're in the wilderness or you're living in the promises, let's make sure we engage in this discipleship practice this week. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in your presence this morning. What a gift you've given us this morning. Wow, how great thou art. I pray that you will, you will hear that from our lips every day. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And all the earth gives you glory. Father, thank you for the gift of this morning. Help us now to put your word into practice. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.